Good morning. I'm Charlie Turner. I'm the lead pastor here at River Rock Bible Church. Just want to welcome you all here this morning. Glad that you uh, came and joined with us. Just a reminder for those of you who are regular attenders and members here at River Rock Bible Church, Easter is coming up in the last few weeks. I have deputized all of you. Even if you weren't here, you've been deputized as an official greeter. Just want to remind you and encourage you. Uh, Easter's coming. We're gonna we're expecting a lot of visitors. Hopefully, you're inviting your friends and your neighbors. Uh, to come to our Easter service and that you would be here on Easter Sunday, maybe even a little bit early, uh, to welcome them and greet them. So uh, welcome to River Rock Bible Church if you're a first-time visitor. We're glad that you're here with us. And before we get into the message, I want to just share something that happened this past week. Um, Four years ago, I was in a residency at Hill Country Bible Church uh, and uh, we were moving towards launching the church here at River Rock, here in Village Elementary School in Georgetown. And we had one problem. We had a, a lot of great people around us, but the one thing we didn't have was a worship leader. And so we began looking for a worship leader, and uh, John Harrington introduced me. He was my coach at the time. He introduced me to this guy who lived out in Marble Falls, and he said, man, you got to meet this guy. And so Stephen and I uh, met, and the very first thing that happens, I open his car door, and a duck call falls out. And I was like, yeah, I like this guy. Uh, but unfortunately, we didn't have any money to pay a worship leader. Uh, but Stephen and I remained in contact over the next year, and we became uh, good friends and got to spend some time together. And uh, through the course of time, God just orchestra- orchestrated some things. And, and I told Stephen, I said, look, man, here's, here's the deal. Uh, I, I don't have any money to pay you, but um, I can make sure that you will make a lot less money and work a lot more hours if you come to work for River Rock Bible Church. And he said, where do I sign? And he signed up for that. Uh, raised his own support for for over a year to come and be a part of the mission at River Rock Bible Church. And uh, Friday, March 24th, we celebrated three years of ministry together, and he has served us faithfully. He's been a a good friend. Um, All the good things that you see on Sunday morning are usually because of him. Um, Anything good that I say is usually because he said it first in one of our meetings, and I stole it and just didn't give him credit. Um, So, if you have a chance today, just let Stephen know how much you appreciate him. In fact, let's let him know how much we appreciate him right now. We are in our Contagious series, and if you're just joining us this morning, we're going through a series not only on Sunday mornings, but also in our community groups called Contagious, and we're learning how to become contagious Christians. How do we begin to share our faith with the people around us and, and really begin to see an impact in their lives? And last week, uh, we, we were talking about a contagious heart. How do we develop that contagious heart? And if you remember, I put a formula up. And if we, we have that formula, which was about maximum impact, right? MI equals maximum impact. Who remembers what HP stands for? The salt and the salt shaker. High potency. Good. Two people were awake last week when we got to that point in the message. Awesome. CP. Anybody remember CP? It's all right. We didn't talk too much about it. Close proximity right? Plus clear communication equals maximum impact. This comes from Bill Hybels. Uh, And so high potency, we've got to be salt that's salty. We've got to stand out as being different from the world, but we also have to come into close contact with those who are far from God, those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And as we come into contact with them, we have to demonstrate our love for them, but we also have to clearly communicate the gospel. This morning, as we talk about contagious relationships, we're going to be talking about the second part, 
the close proximity. How do we get into close proximity with those who are far from God? And we're going to be looking at the story of Matthew, uh, Levi, as he's called in our text today in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. If you want to turn there, that's where we're going to be. Now, if you know anything or uh, have any idea about Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector. And uh, this was a pretty special job. Now, the thing that he did is, is nothing new. In fact, I think Matthew's mentality and tax collectors of those, day, those days were, were no different than most of us today. There's a mindset in our world that says making easy money, a lot of money, really fast is the way to go. I mean, how many get-rich-quick schemes do you see? How many, uh, how many times do you see people buying the scratch-offs and, and, oh, hey, the, the lottery is $140 million this week. Put $20 down. I could, get, I could use some of that money. And uh, we, we all love this idea of easy money. Now, if you lived in the first century in Israel, your ticket to easy money, your hope upon hope, was that you would become a tax collector for the Roman government because here's how it worked. The Roman government set the tax. They said, here's how much we need from your district. And then here's your tax rate. And then you were free to charge whatever you wanted on top of that. 10%, 20%, 70%, 100%. You could charge whatever you wanted on top of that, and that was your income. Not only that, but you had Roman soldiers there to enforce whatever you said the tax rate was. Talk about tempting. So these tax collectors were hated by everyone. I mean, think about IRS and how much you love them, right? Tax season's coming up. You've got two weeks left. Uh, think about how much we love having our taxes taken out. And these were people that were coming, and, and usually not very fair. They were, they were not only taking out the taxes, but they were taking more above and beyond that all the time. So tax collectors were hated, but they were especially hated by the people of Israel because you, not only were you a traitor to your country, but you were a traitor to your God. Because you are facilitating worship of Caesar, a God other than the one true God. And so here's this man named Levi. Other Gospels tell us his name is Matthew. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew was written by him. And he is in this situation. He's a traitor. He's considered the lowest of the low on the social rung. He's considered immoral, greedy, selfish, sleazy, deceitful. Not many people have a favorable opinion of him. But then one day, Matthew hits a real payday, and it's the day that he meets Jesus. And we read this in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything, he got up and began to follow him. He gets up immediately and begins to follow Jesus. And I don't know what Jesus saw in Matthew Obviously, he was the son of God, so he saw something in him that perhaps the other people around Matthew wouldn't have seen, but he calls him to be his disciple. And it says that Matthew left everything. He leaves everything behind. And here's the one thing that I I want us to see from this, is that Jesus made room in his life for those who did not share his values, morals, ethics, and beliefs. Jesus made room in his life for those who did not share his values, morals, ethics, and beliefs. We're going to see this here in just a little bit. Matthew walks away from a fortune. Think about all that Matthew had. He, he gave up more than, than any of the other disciples 
to become a follower of Jesus Christ. He leaves his, his, uh, he leaves his tax firm. He leaves his 401c, you know, his uh, uh, 501k. He leaves all that behind. And he says, I'm going to follow Jesus. He leaves everything behind except for one thing. He doesn't leave his friends behind. Matthew is content to just move on and, and to continue his life without all these other things, his mansion, his wealth, his money, his bank accounts, his money market, his retirement fund. He says, I'm giving all that up. But the one thing I won't leave behind are my friends. Look at what happens in verse 29. Levi hosted a grand banquet for him, that is Jesus, at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and other guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So Matthew has this encounter with Jesus Christ. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ and he says, I'm going to leave everything behind and follow you. But before I do that, there's something I've got to do, Jesus. There's something I've got to do. I need to throw a big party at my house. And I think this party served two purposes for Matthew. I think, number one, it was a going away party to say goodbye to his friends because he knew that Jesus was kind of this itinerant preacher and that he was going to be moving around and he wasn't going to be able to hang out with his friends all the time. But I think there was a bigger and deeper concern for Matthew and that was his friends. Matthew thought he, he had hit the payday, the jackpot, and he said, I've got to find some way for what I've experienced in this man, Jesus, I need to find some way for my friends to experience this. So I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to invite Jesus and his friends. And I'm going to invite my tax collectors and sinner friends. And, and my hope is that these guys are going to have conversation, that they're going to rub elbows together, and that perhaps out of this, there might be some conversations later that we can follow up on. Or perhaps even that night, Jesus may see something in someone else And they may see something in Jesus, and they may begin to ask questions and finally have those questions answered. They might come and put their faith in Jesus Christ. I think that was Matthew's greatest concern, was his hope was that somehow, some way, by interacting with Jesus and his disciples, that perhaps his friends could have a little bit of what he has. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he throws this party. We read this in verse 30 about the Pharisees. It says, but the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? This verse shows us very clearly that the Pharisees, the Pharisees were considered the religious elite. They were the regular attenders at church. They were the members at the synagogue who were involved up to their elbows in the church, who knew everything. They attended every Bible study They had every podcast downloaded. They had everything memorized. These were the guys that should have known everything. And what we see from them is that too often, religious people often have a major problem associating with those far from God. Religious people often have a major problem associating with those far from God. And I want to tell you that as I, as I prepared this message this week and I started thinking about this and, and contagious relationships, I, I, I thought, man, if there's one area that I think I'm doing really well, this is it. And then as I, I really started thinking about my own actions and my, my motives and different things that go through my mind, I realized I still have a long way to go. Uh, 
to develop a heart like Matthew, to develop the heart of Jesus for lost people. Think about this. When you're a teenager, how many teenagers, young adults we got in the room? Yep, I got one sticking the tongue out at me. She's definitely a teenager. Uh, uh, so when you're a teenager, you get invited to a party. You're not concerned with, I wonder what the dress code is. I wonder what the theme of this party is. You're not concerned with, I wonder what kind of food they're going to ha- have there. I wonder how they're going to pay for this party. What's your number one concern? You're a teenager, you get invited to a party. What do you want to know? Who's going to be there? Hey, thank you, Maddie. She's a teenager. She gets it. Who's going to be there? And often you decide whether or not you're going to that party based on who's going to be there. That's why in youth ministry, when we're trying to build a youth ministry, we always try to get girls. Because if you get girls and food, then the boys will be there, right? It's just the way it works. That's just the way it works. And, and here's the funny thing. As an adult, as a dad now, my kids get an invitation to a party or someone wants them to come outside and play or something's going on and they get invited. What's my first thought? It's not about the theme. It's not about the food. It's not about anything other than, okay, who are you going to be with? Who are you going to be around? And so often as parents, our objection to our kids going somewhere has nothing to do with the situation other than who's going to be there. And I started to think about that. Man, do I, do I find myself not going places or not allowing my kids to go places? And I'll just tell you straight, this is parenting tip, bonus. You can write this down. We don't do drop-off parties yet with our kids because they're six, right? And so we, we don't, we're not hovering, but we're, we're like there and we watch, right? So we put up barriers. We make sure our kids are safe. Um, but at the same time, man, as they get older, we're going to have to face some of those decisions, and I can remember as a kid, I, I had a, a friend that my mom's like, don't hang out with that kid, he's trouble. Don't hang out with that kid, he's trouble. Uh, and, and the rule was, he was allowed over at our house, but I wasn't allowed over at his house. Uh, and, and that was the rule. Because my mom knew, as soon as we got over to his house, or as soon as I got around him and his friends, I was being dragged down, instead of dragging him up, pulling him up. Uh, and so the encouragement was always, why don't you invite him over here with some of your friends? And, and it was just a different dynamic. And here's what I love about Jesus. What we see with Jesus is that he always maintains the spiritual influence wherever he is, right? That's something to keep in mind is we, we still have to use wisdom and discretion, but, but maintain that influence, right? Jesus is always the one who's, who's influencing. And, and in, in those moments where we start to maybe feel like our, our friends who are far from God may be pulling us away from him, Perhaps it's time for us to, to maybe take a step back and get with some of our other Christian friends and say, man, why don't you come with me and help me do this? But the big thing I want us to see is that the religious people had a problem associating with those who were far from God. And I started wondering about my own attitudes. And I started wondering about us as a church. Like, uh, Do we have a, a heart like Jesus and like Matthew that says, you know what, I need to bring my, my non-Christian friends around my Christian friends in, in the hopes that maybe something will spark there. Maybe there'll be a conversation. Or do, do we look at non-Christian people and we say, ooh, that's the spiritual riffraff. I don't think we should hang out with them. You know, I don't really like the words that they use, so I'm just not going to be around them. We don't have to give approval of, of their actions and their behaviors to spend time with them and to let them see the love of God come through us. I, I see this, this big distinction 
between Matthew, who is this spiritual rookie. He's a newbie, and he gets it. And he says, look, I I know my friends are a little rough around the edges, some rougher than others, uh, but they need Jesus, and they need to have a chance to encounter some people who know Jesus and perhaps encounter Jesus himself. Whereas the spiritual elite say, you know what, we're too good. I, I can't put myself around those people. I'm not going to put myself around those people. Matthew sees the same group with different eyes. He sees the same profane, greedy, immoral, lost causes. But in the back of Matthew's mind, I think he's saying, you know what, I see who they are. And just yesterday, I was one of them. And my desire is that they would no longer be just those greedy, profane, immoral people but they would be people who know Jesus Christ. So I'm going to do what I can to bring them together. We have to check our attitude when we go and we make these, when we make uh, relational connections. Do you have people that you spend time with who don't agree with your values, your morals, your ethics, your political beliefs? Do you have people around you that live completely different lives than you do? If your answer is no, I would encourage you to think through some ways, and at the end of the message, I'm going to give some practical ways that we can develop some of those relationships so that we can be that that salt that has not lost its saltiness but has come out of the salt shaker and is engaging the world around us. Last thing I want us to see is that love and logic go hand in hand. Love and logic go hand in hand. Uh, Jesus goes to this party, and he begins engaging with Matthew's friends. And the Pharisees come and they complain to Jesus. They, actually, they don't even come to Jesus. They don't have the guts to go to Jesus, probably because they've had enough interactions to Jesus, with Jesus that, and they've been shown up. Like, they, like he just kind of mic drops on them. And they're like, you know what? We're not going for that anymore. We're going to go to his disciples. They're probably a lot weaker than he is. So they go to his disciples. And I guess Jesus overhears it. And they says, But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I love this. We see that love and logic go hand in hand because Jesus is there demonstrating his heart for the lost by spending time with people who don't look, act, think, behave the way that he does. And just by being there, he's saying, I care about you. God cares about you. Your life matters to me. But at the same time, the Pharisees come and they think that they're too good for this. And so they want to use logic and reason. And so Jesus appeals to that and he says, look, how long would a doctor stay in business if all he did was see healthy people? It's not a very good business model for a doctor. Doctors have to be around sick people. That's just what they do. Jesus says, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Now, what we need to realize is that Jesus is not in any way saying, Pharisees, you don't need me. You're you're good enough. In fact, we we know Romans Romans, uh, 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And then in 3.23, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, not some, not most, but all. 
Do you know the, the meaning of the word that's used in the Greek there for all? It means all. I know, that's deep. But it means every single person in this room has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are in need of a Savior. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' point is not that the Pharisees are okay. But his point is this, that if you don't recognize your own sinfulness and your need for Jesus Christ, there's not much that he can do for you. There's not much he can do for you. And Jesus says, you know what, I'd I'd rather spend my time with people who recognize their need for me. They recognize their brokenness and they're willing to say, Jesus, I'm broken, I need you. It's much easier for me to spend time with them than with people who think that they can just earn their way to heaven. Because we know that we've all sinned, all of us, and we fall short of God's standard. There's no way we can make up for it. There's no amount of church services we can attend. There's no amount of money we can give. There's no amount of, uh, of people we can serve, good things that we can do to make up for that gap between us and God. Jesus is the only thing that fills that gap. And he says, I need to be with people who recognize that and who are willing to acknowledge that and accept that. That's why I'm here. Last thing is this, that the Pharisees were quick to diagnose the flaws in others, but were blind to their own need for healing. They were blind to their own need for healing. And I think sometimes as Christians, being on this side of the line of faith, we forget what our life was like before we came to Jesus Christ. I was only six years old when I put my trust in Christ as my Savior. Uh, and so I didn't really get into a lot of heavy sin. Like I wasn't a drug user. Um, I was you know, six years old, hopefully. Uh, wasn't into that. You know, I, wasn't, I didn't have one of these amazing backstories. But I, I know, even as a kid, that there were things in my life that I had done that dishonored God and that that was enough to separate me from God. And I know that there have been moments in my life, even after coming to faith in Jesus Christ, where I have stepped outside of his will and I've walked my own way and I have not honored him. And I can tell you in those moments how, how uh, desperate it feels to, to feel that separation, to know that you are not walking with the Lord. And then I think how it must feel for someone who doesn't know that they can just come to the Father and ask for his forgiveness and, and know that those sins are already taken care of. And we forget that we too are sinners. The only difference between us and the people around us who don't know Christ is that our sins are forgiven through faith, not because of anything good we've done. And we forget that. And somehow we put ourselves on this pedestal we think we're better than others. And I think one of the things that I really take away from this story of Matthew, the Pharisees, and Jesus is that Jesus would have us continue to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of who he is. He wants that. I believe he wants us to grow in our worship. I believe he wants us to grow in our faithfulness to him. But I think at the same time, Jesus is saying, don't forget to grow in your compassion Don't forget to grow in developing a heart like mine. Jesus says, I came to seek and save that which is lost. That was his heart. His heart was to die for the sins of the world, not to separate himself from them. And so often 
as Christians, what we do is like, oh man, I'm going to get signed up. I'm going to serve in every single ministry that they have at the church. I'm going to, I'm going to be at every Bible study that they have. I'm going to be in every community group that they have. I'm going to outgive everybody. I'm going to download more podcasts than anybody. I'm going to listen to more Christian radio than anybody else. And we get so wrapped up in becoming a good Christian that our theology is on point. Our church attendance, we get the perfect attendance award at the end of the year if we ever gave one. You've got all these things going for you. You're checking all the boxes. But the one thing where I feel like we fail a lot of times as Christians is developing a heart of compassion for the lost. That we'd be willing to say, you know what? Man, this guy's rough around the edges, but we need to have him in our home. We need to have him in our home and spend some time with him. I need to get out on the golf course with him. Perhaps I need to grab lunch with him. She and I need to sit down over a cup of coffee and have a conversation and just build that friendship. And I want us quickly to look at some ways that we can become uh, contagious in our relationships. I want us to, to just view a few practical applications. The first one here, and if you're in a small group, a community group this week, then you heard this already, but a great way is to become a contagious consumer. Uh, do you have places that you go to regularly? And I'm going to share a story about one of my friends who's now a member. He's actually now leading a discipleship group, and his wife, he and his wife serve very faithfully here at River Rock Bible Church. But uh, I actually met this man four years ago when I moved to Georgetown. I would go to the vitamin shop almost every single day. I was addicted to energy drinks, and I still love them, but I just, I've gotten myself off of them. Uh, don't drink them anymore. Just too much caffeine. And so I would go to the the vitamin shop every single day and I kept seeing this guy and we started talking about our families and and found out that he was a believer uh, but that he didn't have a church home and so we I said hey let's grab lunch together so we started having lunch together and breakfast and over time he said you know what I think I'm going to check your church out and then he and his family are here and they're fully engaged and uh, it was just one of those things where I was just going to this place and I just happened to make a friend while I was there it was that simple H-E-B. There's two H-E-Bs in Georgetown. We know the, there's the ghetto and the Gucci, H-E, or the geriatric H-E-B here on Williams. Here's the, here's the key to going that Williams. You go after dark when the old people can't drive anymore, and it's not a problem. Uh, it's just better. Sorry, Judge. Uh, <laughs> somehow I feel like there's a search warrant that's going to be coming my way. I don't know. Anyways, when we first moved to Georgetown, we lived on the other. We lived uh, over in Katy Crossing, and the closest HEB was the one that's off I-35. And every single time I went there, uh, I, I would always try. First few times I went there, try to strike up a conversation with the cashier, and I always look for the one that's willing to talk to you. You know the friendly ones, right? You can find them pretty easily. And if they were just kind of like, yeah, then I'd find another cashier next time. Well, I found this cashier named Vicky, and Vicky was my cashier. Now, Vicki and I have never really had a deep spiritual conversation, but she's my cashier. And after we moved over here, it was probably about a year since I had been in that HEB. I went back there, and guess who recognized me? Guess who called me by name and asked about my kids? Vicki. And here at this HEB, I've got a friend named Brian. He's the best teller there is, best checker there is. He's the one I go to every single time we get to have spiritual conversation. Now, I haven't had a chance to lead either of these two to the Lord, but it's just been an amazing thing that just by 
you know what? Putting a smile on your face, not being in such a hurry, and being friendly. I've created some great relationships with people. And I believe that God can use that same kind of relationship to develop a relationship with someone that would lead someone to Christ. The second thing uh, we can we can see is uh, contagious recreation and exercise, right? Think about how you can redeem that time. If your kid plays sports, you're probably at the ball field way too many hours a week with way too many other parents that if they didn't have a smartphone, they would be pulling their hair out because they have nothing else to do. And this is a great opportunity for you to come and sit next to them instead of sitting in the minivan and watching the soccer practice. Get out and go sit on the bleachers sit next to one of those moms or one of those dads and just say, hey, which one's your kid? How are things going at work? And start to develop that relationship. You'd be surprised how easily people will open up. Uh, third is community involvement. Think about your civic organizations that you're a part of in your schools. Think about uh, maybe even political, being involved politically. These are great opportunities where you can just meet people and things that you're already doing or already would be doing And you can meet people and engage them and begin to develop some of these relationships. Your workplace. Last week I shared two stories of two women in our church who in their workplace, all they did was they were praying, God, use me today. And both of them were used in their workplace to lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ. This past week I got a phone call. Actually, I called him because I heard from someone else that uh, one of our members had had shared the gospel while while he was at work. And I was like, man, that's awesome. I want to call and just thank him for his faithfulness. And it was one of his clients that he had the chance to share the gospel with. They didn't put their trust in Christ, but man, he was faithful. It was awesome. It was amazing. It was a great thing to see that just being available there at work, there are relationships. You share a cubicle with someone. You carpool with someone. There's plenty of opportunities right around us. The last one I'll share is this. Contagious neighborhoods. I'll tell you the best thing my wife and I ever did was we, uh, well, for evangelism, we got a dog and we had kids. Those are two, two of the best things. Kids are the best because uh, you, you can tell them like, hey, go, go talk to that person. And then you're like, oh, my kid's talking to somebody, right? And you use them to start up a conversation. But uh, <laughs> the other thing we did was we bought a little portable fire pit and we started bringing it out. And it was, at the, time, at the time, it was like once a week, we would just have a fire pit on Sunday nights. People would come over, we'd roast marshmallows, and we got to know a lot of our neighbors. We got to have conversations with them. And we just developed real friendships with people. Some of them already believers. Some of them still aren't believers yet. But we've had real conversations. We've had lots of, converse, lots of spiritual conversations, lots of opportunities to find out what's happening in someone's life just because we bought a fire pit and some marshmallows, and we invited people over to come and bring your own drinks. Let's hang out. Kids can play in the street, and let's just get to know each other. And it's been amazing to see what God does. My question to you is, what are those opportunities in your life that you can redeem? Everybody goes to the grocery store. Everybody goes to the bank. Everybody eats out. Everybody has neighbors. Everybody has to go to work. Everybody has kids in school or, or in sports or, or whatever. There is some place that you can make a connection and start thinking through, how do, I, how do I get these people to engage in a spiritual conversation? Maybe I bring, maybe you throw a party like Matthew. Sometimes people call them Matthew parties. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to invite my community group over and I'm going to invite my work friends over 
And I'm going to give them a chance just to be together and see what happens. Maybe some conversations come out of it. Maybe not. But I'm going to be praying that God would open some doors. I really want to challenge us this week. Does your heart reflect that of Jesus and his disciples? Matthew specifically? Or is it one that reflects an attitude more of the Pharisees? Where we separate ourselves from those people. I want to challenge us this week to to develop a heart like Jesus, a heart like Matthew, that says, man, I I need to do whatever it takes to develop these relationships and and provide opportunities for my friends that don't know Christ to come to know Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful for this time that we have to gather here this morning. We thank you so much for the love of your son, Jesus Christ, that he had a heart for sinners that he came to seek and save that which was lost. Lord, I'm reminded of Luke 15, where we read about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son and how in each of those stories, Lord, the widow would not, she turned over her house looking for her lost coin because it was so precious to her. The shepherd left the 99 sheep to find the one because that one was so precious to him. And the the father waited each day looking for his lost son to return because his son was so precious to him. Lord, would you help us to develop that kind of heart that the people around us who don't know Christ as their Savior, that, that we would search for them, that we would seek them out because they are so precious to us. More importantly, Lord, they are precious to you would help us to remember that apart from you, where we would be. My prayer this week, Lord, is that each and every one of us would have the opportunity to sit down with a friend, classmate, co-worker, family member, and sometime this week to just share with them, engage them in a spiritual conversation that might lead to them asking one more question may even lead to them putting their trust in your son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.